All right, well, we're going to morph together our series on hosting the Holy Spirit with this wonderful national celebration of Mother's Day. How many of you know I'm glad we're still able to celebrate Mother's Day and recognize the differences between men and women in our culture? That day is becoming... I wonder how long Mother's Day is going to last if we don't have a, re, a move of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that's not a joke, that's the real deal. If we don't have a move of the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure how long our gender-based holidays are going to stick around. But I'm believing for a move of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're preaching into. And I'm never going to give up Mother's Day. How about you? Or Father's Day or any of the other good days we celebrate. Uh, or Christmas or Easter or the like, all right? How about Thanksgiving? I, we, I mean, let's just keep them all because they all have great Christian roots, and, uh, and we're going to keep fighting for that. But here, I want to talk to you this morning about spirit-empowered women, and this is good news. Ladies, I want you all to be encouraged. I want the men to be encouraged. I think the church should be a place, as I said, said earlier, where ladies are safe, where they're honored, where they're respected, where they're encouraged, where they're empowered, where they're celebrated, where they're equipped. Can I get an amen, ladies, on all of that? Uh, and, uh, and where women and men have healthy, God-centered relationships. And I think we're supposed to be modeling that to the world. But why am I so confident in that? Here's why. Ready for this? Because the Lord loves and honors and celebrates women. And Jesus raised the bar so high on women uh, and did it in such a radical, revolutionary way. And I want to highlight some of that this morning. How many know Jesus listened to women? Jesus talked to women, which in his culture was something that only, if you were a married man, you only talked to your wife in public. You did not talk to another woman in public. How many know Jesus violated that repeatedly? Uh, I, I give you an example. Uh, the day that he ran into the woman at the well, she was shocked because she was a Samaritan and she was an adulteress. Two strikes against her, uh, and Jesus initiated the conversation, and she was stunned. The reason she was stunned is because men didn't talk to women, and men certainly didn't talk to women like she was, all right? But Jesus talked to women. Jesus valued women. I find it interesting that when Jesus had been beaten beyond recognition, and he was carrying his cross up to Calvary, there's a little snippet in Scripture. It's actually found in... Um, uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 26, on the way to the cross, this group of women were mourning over the suffering and over the sorrow of what Jesus was going through, and Jesus pauses and talks to them on the way to the cross. Again, in a culture where men didn't talk to women publicly, let alone who in their right mind, full of agony and suffering, is going to stop to talk to a group of strangers there on the side of the road, but Jesus did that. What an amazing man that he is. He valued women. In fact, he called them daughters of Jerusalem. Jesus spoke tenderly to the ladies. The woman that had the issue of bleeding, he called daughter in Luke chapter 8, 48. Jairus' daughter, uh, whom he raised from the dead, he called her my child when he spoke to her. How many of you know these are terms of endearment? And I also want to remind you that every funeral Jesus ever attended, he messed up. Because he raised the dead person and ruined the funeral, all right? And, uh, and can you imagine the heart of Jesus recognizing this dear woman who had lost her only son and the grief that she was going through? And the Bible says Jesus was overwhelmed with compassion for her and stopped and spoke to that little boy and raised him from the dead. How many of you know Jesus is awesome? And Jesus certainly would be in the spirit of celebrating what we're celebrating today, celebrating women. Here's another thing Jesus did that was radical. Jesus taught women. 
in a culture where women were not allowed to be trained, when women were not allowed to be instructed, uh, where women had a different set of rules to play with. Jesus actually sat uh, in Martha and Mary's house, and it says Mary sat at his feet and Jesus taught her. She had her own one-on-one uh, session with the King of Glory. I mean, you know, that's pretty radical, especially in that culture. Uh, Jesus saved women. Jesus healed women. In fact, he spoke to a woman who was crippled and hunched over for 18 years. And it says Jesus called her not just woman, but dear woman. Dear woman. I think those words are in the Bible for a reason. Jesus spoke to this precious lady with compassion, and then he healed her. She had been in bondage for 18 years. How many of you know, I'm sure uh, she had great affection in her heart for the Lord after that encounter with him. There's also a grieving widow. Uh, whose son, her only son, was raised from the dead by Jesus in Luke chapter 7. The Bible says when, when the Lord saw her, his heart was overflowing with compassion. How about this as a Savior? Every encounter Jesus had with broken ladies, he was moved with compassion for them. Can I just tell you, it should be the same. Guys, we're learning from Jesus, amen, not only his model of masculinity, of manhood, but we're learning from the way he loved and treated and esteemed ladies in a culture where there wasn't much of that. Jesus also delivered women. How about the Gentile woman whose daughter was demonized? And she said, Lord, have mercy. And Jesus tried to explain to her that he was not here for the Gentiles. He was here, first of all, for Israel. Uh, and uh, she kept going after him and going after him. And finally, he turned and he set this woman's daughter free from the demonic oppression. How about Mary Magdalene? I'm going to focus on her today. We're talking about uh, somebody delivered. The Bible says, uh, mentions, by the way, Mary Magdalene's name 12 times in the New Testament. All the gospel writers include her. How many of you know there's something about Mary Magdalene that the Lord wants us to focus on and to learn from? And I hope to unpackage that today. So look with me. This is the first encounter we get about Mary Magdalene, a woman who was set free by Jesus. And it's found in Luke chapter 8. You can follow on the screen there. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It says, soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the gospel of the kingdom. Notice what is the gospel that he's preaching? The gospel of the kingdom, which I told you before is broader than just the gospel of salvation. It's about his kingdom, about the king's domain. And how many of you know the good news has to be good news to women as well as men, or it's not good news? It should be good news to ladies as well. And it is. Trust me, it is. He began preaching the gospel of the good news of the kingdom. And notice he took his 12 disciples with him, as he always did. But look at what happened in the next verse. He also brought along with him some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now, the Holy Spirit puts that little parenthetical bit of information that Mary Magdalene had been set free from seven spirits, all right, demonic spirits. Um, and I think it's in there for a reason. So Jesus is traveling with the disciples, but he's also got a group of ladies who had been impacted. Either they were delivered or healed by Christ. And it goes on in verse 3, and it mentions some of them. Joanna, the wife of Chusa. This is Herod's business manager. So now the gospel has already penetrated even the highest realms of uh, government. Susanna, many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and the disciples. So you get the picture here. Jesus has his disciples 
but he's got another band of women that are traveling with the group, and they all have one thing in common. They were broken, they were hurting, they were sick, they were demonized, and Jesus Christ set them free. And now so much so, I want to ask you this question. If you've been set free by Christ, what is the logical response? If you've truly been born again, if you've truly been set free, if you've been delivered, or if you've been healed, or if you've been forgiven of your sins, what is the natural response if you're in that situation? You want more. Let me just give you a little secret, a pastoral secret. People that say they're born again, but have zero desire to worship God, zero desire to be among God's people, zero desire to grow spiritually, I, I question the authenticity of their encounter with Jesus, because people in the Bible who got radically rocked by Jesus became followers. In other words, where he was, they wanted to be. What he was doing, they wanted to do. There was a hunger inside their hearts for more of Jesus. And why are these women following Christ? I'll tell you why. Because their previous life was horrible. And because their new life after meeting Jesus was amazing. And they didn't want to be separated from him. In fact, notice what it says here. They were contributing from their own resources to support the ministry and the ongoing needs of Jesus and the disciples as they were traveling about. But we know this about Mary. She had a troubled past. Some confuse this Mary with the, the other Mary who was weeping and crying at Jesus' feet, the woman of ill repute. Remember that story? That's not the same Mary, although she was a woman powerfully impacted by Jesus. But how many of you know this Mary Magdalene definitely has a traumatic past? When we, and if you've ever been to one of our encounters, we talk about closing the open doors, and we talk about how the enemy comes into our lives. How many of you have been to an encounter and you remember that session? We give about five different areas that lead, and this is important for us to understand as believers. Sometimes people say, well, if you're a Christian, you can't have a devil. Oh, yeah, you can have whatever you want. So if you want, to you want to live in unforgiveness, you can open the door to the demonic in your life. You want, to, you want to practice sexual sin, you can open the door. You want to be involved in drugs and, and, uh, and alcohol and all that, you can open the door to all the demons that you want. And, it, and the devils don't care if you go to church or not. The devils don't care if you pray to prayer or not. In other words, if you're... <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm moving them. I did this twice last week, only second service. I was good first service, I was good third service. Back to my point. The devils don't care about church membership. They want to know if you've had an encounter with God that's changed your life. So I don't know what happened to Mary. I don't know if it was her sin or somebody else's sin to her. But how many of you know if there's been sexual abuse in your life and trauma, it opens the doors many times to the demonic? If there's been all kinds of horrific things, violence or any sort in your life, trauma, 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 trauma is an open door to the demonic into our lives. And the Bible says Mary had seven different spirits that had come and taken residence inside of her, all right? But Jesus encountered Mary and the devils had to go. And for the first time in her life, she felt free. There was no more torment. There's no more fear, no more pain. And how many of you know what? She's forgiven. She's loved. She's accepted. She's known. And she's free in the Lord. And I, let me just tell you something. If you've been living in bondage in the past and now you're free, you're going to run after Jesus as hard as you can run. In fact, the Bible says this. To whom much, uh, or, or, uh, to whom much has been forgiven. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm blazing them together. Uh, those who have been forgiven much love much. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. 
Why do they love much? Because they know where they came from and they know what Christ has done in their lives. How many of you know one of the signs of people that have truly encountered Jesus is they love Jesus much. They run after him. They're hungry for more of him. And that's what we're seeing here in Mary Magdalene. In fact, she is a picture of a powerful encounter with the Lord and she's all in. She's a follower. She's running after the Lord. Now, I see a beautiful young lady here. I'm not going to point her out, but I see her smiling face this morning. My lovely wife had the privilege of meeting with her not too long ago. And, um, and I'm just going to share the headlines because I think this can relate to many of you. How many of you think if, you were, if you're Mary Magdalene and you are demonized because of your past, you have a, you have a, a, a checkered past, that you probably talk about shame and guilt. You probably feel like maybe you're not on the center of God's agenda or God's plan. You probably felt like you missed out on an opportunity. I know people in this room that have been hurt in the past, and maybe you went off and you ran off into a world uh, where you were just rebelling against God. Sometimes we get hurt in churches, right? And uh, people in churches hurt us, and we're like, forget all those people. And we just go out and we just kind of live a wild life. Well, in this situation, the wild life produced a child. And the child um, was a reminder that the, uh, the way they were living was not the way that they should be living. But here's the deal. This young lady, in the early days, felt a call of God on her life for the, for the mission field. But she made some mistakes. And the way the church handled the mistakes actually created more pain instead of healing the pain. Can I just tell you something? The church should be a place where on our worst day, our most shame-filled moment, we're not judged, but we're embraced. We're not condemned, but we're given hope. We're reminded that the blood of Jesus and the cross and all that Christ accomplished for us can overcome any of our shameful past. But this young lady with a call in her life and a dream in her heart to go to the mission field felt like that was all done. And then now that the baby's here, that's, not, that's, that's a distant past. And when Marion was meeting with her this week, this is what she shared. It's God that opens the womb. How many of you believe that? No baby is an unwanted baby or an unexpected baby from God's perspective. God is the one who takes our worst moments and turns them into something good. And while the devil wants to disqualify us or tell us that God can't use us anymore, the truth of the matter is sometimes the people who are most broken and the people who are most hurt and the people who feel like they got nothing to offer are the very people that God puts in the centerpiece of his agenda. That's what the gospel does. So if you're here this morning, the lie of the devil is you're disqualified. God says, no, I'm just creating an amazing testimony for you. And, I, and, I, and Marion's counsel to this young lady was, the call of God on your life has not changed because you have a little one. In fact, the little one is a blessing from God, and this child's going to grow up and have a great purpose for her life, and God wants to use you both in incredible ways. In fact, children are many times bridges for the gospel. So I don't care what you've gone through. And in a culture today that views if you have a pregnancy that's unexpected, all of a sudden this child's going to ruin everything, that is a lie from the pit of hell. God wants to take our worst moments, our shameful moments, our moments where we, oh, why did I do that or whatever, and he turns it into something beautiful. And I, and, and I know that this beautiful young lady's here today, and I just want you to hear from your pastor. I believe in you, and I can't wait till we're able to send you off on some short-term trips with your beautiful child. Here's my question to you. We're trying to talk about hosting the Holy Spirit, 
I shared with you last week, if you're going to live in unbelief and fear, you're going to quench the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. How many of you have seen that to be true? He does not hang out with fearful, unbelieving people. In fact, those are the two things listed in Revelation 21. That makes you a candidate for the lake of fire. So we're not going to coddle. Listen, don't coddle fear and unbelief. Don't try to counsel fear and unbelief. Jesus gave him a great commission to push them forward out of fear and unbelief, and it made us rely on him. Let me tell you something else. How do you host the Holy Spirit? You love him extravagantly because of all that he's done in your life, and it causes you to want to pursue him all the days of your life. And if you will extravagantly love the Lord, you will be a candidate to host ever-increasing dimensions of his glory in your life. You know, part of what our worship team exists to do is to extravagantly pour their affection out before all of us on Jesus. And guess what happens when they do that well? We get drawn into the mix. And we lose our sense of ourselves and we just begin to worship the Lord and we release the affection in our heart for God. But it means also you begin to get on a path where you're going to spend the rest of your life pursuing this Jesus Christ, getting to know him and wanting everything that he has for you. Let me show you why Mary Magdalene is mentioned 12 times in the Bible. Why is she so important? I want you to see this one. Uh, her passion for Jesus after his, his radical transformation in her heart took her all the way to the cross. The Bible tells us in John chapter 19, verse 25, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Let me ask guys, how many men were in that group? One in the center, Jesus Christ. Where were the men? Isn't it amazing? Sometimes women can have a whole lot more courage than men. Four women standing at the feet of Jesus, beaten beyond recognition and crucified, while the men were thinking, I don't want to be anywhere near him because I don't want to end up the same way. But there's four women there, and one of them is Mary Magdalene. Why is she there? Can I tell you why she's there? Because her heart's broken. That this man that set her free is now being treated that way and being crucified, and she does not want to leave his side. In fact, she is there while the men are not showing up for some reason. I guess they had other stuff to do, cut the lawn, plant some trees. I don't know what they were doing, but they were not there. I want you to notice she's present when the body of Jesus is taken off of the cross and when it's placed in the tomb. Mark chapter 15, Mary Magdalene. And Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Matthew's gospel says this, Matthew 27. He placed it in, in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock, and then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. And both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. So I want you to see this. The entire time Jesus is crucified, Mary's not leaving. In fact, when they take his body down, she follows whoever took the body down to where they took it to the tomb. She walked the entire way. Why is she doing this? I believe it's because her, her fiery passion for Jesus is still burning and she's so grieving she does not want to let Christ out of her sight. So she follows Jesus all the way to the tomb. In fact, it says early Sunday morning, guess who's the first one at the tomb? It's Mary Magdalene. Now, I'm going to give you a series. I'm going to give you a quiz right now. I'm going to ask you three questions. The answer's the same for all three, but I just need a strong response, all right? I don't want you guys to screw it up, all right? I want to ask you who and then the answer, who are we talking about? All right, good. I want to make sure you get it right. Okay. Who is the first person to see the actual empty tomb? 
You guys are sharp. Check this out. Mark chapter 16, verse 9. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman for whom he had cast out seven demons. Now, let me just ask you this question. If you are signing up for great moments in Jesus' life and history, all right, you're, you're signing up to be there. You want to be there. Who do you think Jesus is going to pick to be the first one to see the empty tomb? He picks a woman in a culture that does not have a high vision of women. Let me, let me just remind you. Does Islam have a high view of women? No. No woman in their right mind should want to, should want to follow Islam. All right, it's terrible. How about Hinduism? How about Buddhism? We got the Hollywood Buddhism, but that's not the Buddhism you find overseas. I'm telling you, every world religion does not treat women, they treat them slightly above an animal, if that, or slightly above a possession, if that. Christianity liberates women. Christianity treats women with dignity. Christianity is good news for women. And who does Jesus let see the empty tomb? First, Mary Magdalene. Oh, by the way, a woman who was full of seven demons. She's not even the most outstanding women of women. She's one of the most broken of women. This is stunning. All right, second question. You guys ready? Who is the first to see and touch the risen Lord? <laughs> this is amazing. Look at John chapter 20 with me, verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and she looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. And these angels start talking to her. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked. Now I want you to see something. When angels show up in the Bible, what is the normal response? People freak out because angels are awesome. Angels are terrifyingly awesome. She's not even blinking an eye. She's having a conversation with two serious, gigantic, awesome, powerful angels. Now, here's my point. Why is she not aware that she's having a conversation? At least she's not freaking out about it with angels. I believe because her heart is so overcome with grief and love and passion for Jesus, she forgets that she's talking to angels. That's just my own interpretation, but I kind of like it. Dear woman, they said, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave, and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Listen to the tenderness, the care, the compassion in the voice of the Lord. Dear woman, dear woman, not just woman, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, please tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Why is she? Jesus is beaten beyond recognition. He's dead. He's been stripped off of the cross. He's laid in a tomb. She's still pursuing Jesus. She's still pursuing him. It's amazing. And here's the shortest sermon in all of Scripture. Look at verse 16. Jesus calls her by name, Mary. Jesus said, and she turned to him and she cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Now listen, I shared this last week. Jesus said on numerous occasions, I'm going to be betrayed. I am going to be beaten. I am going to be crucified. I'm going to be in the tomb three days and I'm coming out. So let me throw another, another theory out. Maybe Mary is one of the few that actually heard. 
and she's still holding on to hope because early Sunday morning, she's looking for the body. She's still after. She's still pursuing. Even in her darkest moments, she's still pursuing Jesus. Let me ask you the third question. Who is the first person commissioned to witness of Jesus' resurrection? Oh, this is awesome. Look at John 20. Keep reading on verse 17. Don't cling to me, Jesus said. I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go and find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. What was their response? Review from last week. They didn't believe her. Let me tell you partly why they didn't believe her. Because she was a woman. And because they were blinded by the cultural biases of their time. And a woman's testimony in court was not as good as a man's testimony. The woman came. Jesus sent a woman to tell the guys that he's alive. Not just any woman, a broken woman. Now, who was the first woman? I'd like to, this, guys, I'm not trying to pick on us today, but I'm just putting things in balance. Who was the first woman to touch Jesus? Mary. And can I just remind all the guys in here that have a problem with women? There was no guy responsible for the birth of Jesus. Just Mary and the Holy Ghost. I mean, you know, guys, we're dependent on, upon women for a lot of things. And thank God for Mary, who said yes to the Holy Spirit, took the whole shame of the culture and everything upon her because nobody believed that the Holy Spirit was responsible, right? But Mary, in her purity and in her love for God and in her, in her obedience to the Holy Spirit, was the first one to hold the Savior. Who was the first one to touch the Savior after his resurrection? It wasn't the little virgin Mary, right? Uh, it was somebody who was incre incredibly broken, can I just tell you, what Jesus does is he opens up the privilege for the broken folks in life to have access to touch him. And those of us that have it all together, we don't really host too much of the Holy Spirit because our pride gets in the way and we don't think we need him as much because we're not like those broken people. That's why I always joke around and tell you that we're all messed up, so quit faking it and just realize that you need the Lord because it's the broken people that get the touch from the Lord. It's the broken people that get intimacy with God. And Mary gets to actually touch the Lord. Now, check this out. This is just my theory, right? This part of it, just my theory. The rest of it's scripture, but this is my theory. Look with me at Acts chapter one. Remember Jesus said last, when we were together last, we were talking about how he said, don't leave Jerusalem until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He, you remember he breathed on them. He said, I'm commissioning. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I shared with you last week, we are called to do the works of Jesus on planet earth, but you cannot do it apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life. So if you're not interested in ministry, you don't need the Holy Spirit. But if you are interested in obeying God and joining him in his mission, the Great Commission, you need the Holy Spirit. So take a look with me. Acts chapter 1. I know I'm laying a lot of scripture, but I hope you're getting something out of this. Look at Acts chapter 1. Here is the greeting or, or the guest list for the upper room. All right. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter. John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Take a look. It keeps going. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
and it says several other women and the brothers of Jesus. Now, let me just ask you this question. Do you think there's a possibility that Mary was not in that upper room? I'm telling you, no. She's on that list of probably the several other women because she hasn't taken Jesus out of her sight. She's been with him at his crucifixion. She's been with him at the early morning. She was there when they took the body down. I mean, you know, Mary's going to find some way to be in the upper room. And while her name is not specifically mentioned there, if I'm a betting man, she's part of that group of women there. And how many of you know, too, Jesus set a great example for us guys in his moment of agony on the cross, he thinks about caring for his mama. You remember that poignant scene? A very natural thing. He makes sure mama's taken care of. Guys, can I just encourage us? Love mama. Care for mama. Make sure mama's taken care of. It's a godly thing. And make sure the godly ladies in the church are cared for as well. The widows among us are cared for as well. But take a look at what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. And I'll close with this. This is good news for all the ladies. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Then Peter stepped forward with the other 11 apostles, and he shouted. Now, how did Peter turn from being Mr. Chicken Little to Mr. Preaching on Pentecost? And instead of retreating, he steps forward along with the other and shouts. How many of you know Peter's a transformed man? That's because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to transform all of us. Take a look at what happened. Listen carefully, all you guys. He says, fellow Jews, residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about it. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Listen to this, folks. In the last days, which we're living in right now, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people. Everybody say all people. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men are going to see visions. Your old men are going to dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. How many of you understand the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer in the church? He tears down walls. He tears down hierarchies. He tears down all the, all the things that get erected in a fallen, broken world. The Holy Spirit mows them all down. Take a look at this. God's plan is to pour out the Spirit on everybody. Every, every human being is a potential candidate for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. All nations, not just Israel, but all nations. That's why the Holy Spirit's poured out on Pentecost. It was the Feast of the Harvest. Everybody from all different nations and ethnic backgrounds were gathered together. So how many of you know the Holy Spirit's not just an American Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's moving in every nation we go to, in the nations of the world. The Holy Spirit's touching people, saving people, healing people, delivering people. We saw that when just in Honduras with this precious lady who had witnessed in a gang murder, watched her two brothers murdered in front of her eyes, was dealing with epileptic fits where the devil would throw her down. I don't even know how much English she, she could understand, but how many of you know the name of Jesus transcends all cultures and devils from whatever nation you're in? I don't know if devils speak Spanish or devils speak English, but I'll tell you this. They all understand the authority and the power of the name of Jesus. And wherever you go when you invoke the name of Jesus, God moves and the Holy Spirit touches people. So all the nations are included, Jews and Gentiles. In fact, verse 21 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to see this, sons and daughters. Hallelujah. I got four of each. I, 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 I am so thrilled to know my sons, as well as my daughters, 
have an opportunity to be hosting the Holy Spirit's presence in their life. And the gifts that God gives to men are the same gifts God gives to women. The Holy Spirit God puts in men is the same Holy Spirit God puts in women. It's not a junior version. It's not a feminine version. The Holy Spirit doesn't have estrogen or testosterone. He's the Holy Spirit. He just equally fills men and women. So again, we, we knock down all the, the, the stupid distinctions that we try to erect just try to put women down and keep them in their place or whatever. Ladies, you, you are candidates by virtue of being created in the image of God and purchased by the blood of Jesus. You're candidates for the full empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life, just like your male counterparts. Hallelujah. I love this too. It's not just mature people, but it's the old and it's the young. There's no age distinction. So let me just say this. Sometimes we think, well, you know, a child has to be a certain age before they can have a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you this. Young children are more open to having encounters with the Holy Spirit than seniors are because seniors get fossilized and we get religious and we get our, all of our excuses made up. But little kids are very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'll tell you what's going on in our children's ministry. Worship. Prayer, teaching kids to pray, teaching kids to minister one to another. Because the Holy Spirit can work through a seven-year-old to bring healing in a senior's body. Some of you aren't so sure about that, but I'm just telling you. God gives little children's dreams and visions. Because little children, that's why he tells us to be childlike. Not childish, but childlike. And quit trying to figure everything out and let the Holy Spirit lead you and touch you. So I want you to see this. So he says, even servants and free. There are any, anything in the world that elevates itself to create a wall, whether it's racial, whether it's generational. I want you to look around this morning. We have every age spectrum represented in here. We got a whole bunch of kids next door, but we got every age group represented in here in this building at one time, all doing the same thing, worshiping Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Where, where on planet Earth were you going to run on the stage or what were you going to do? You're too old to run on the stage. I'm talking about little kids. You got to sit in your seat. Oh, you're getting Kleenex. All right. I'm just messing with you. All right. Where on planet Earth do you find multiple generations of people all gathered together in one place, all worshiping, singing the same music? It's the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you another question. Where do you find different ethnicities gathered together on common ground at the foot of the cross, moving in the Holy Spirit because he gives gifts to all different races? See, we don't need to go off the world script. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. This is the model. This is the proving ground. And let me just tell you something. Some of you guys need to hear this. Jesus listened to women. And he was God. Because when you listen to people, you value what you say is, I value what you have to say. I can't tell you how many women in marriages say, I just wish my husband would listen to me. I wish he'd stop talking. I wish he would just listen. I wish he would hear my heart. Can I just tell you something? My wife is my single greatest asset. And my wife is full of the Holy Spirit. And when my wife speaks, I hear the voice of the Lord. It's a much more beautiful voice than when I look at my son over there, something like that. I mean, or some, or some of you guys. Now my son's beautiful. I'm not putting him down. But the voice of the Holy Spirit through his daughters is a beautiful voice. 
And it carries the same authority when it's the Lord speaking. I've seen, I've seen a prophetic gift in some of you ladies because, listen, you're sensitive. It's not that God doesn't want to move prophetically through the guys. It's just we got an agenda sometimes and we're too busy and we're, our mind's full of too many things. But I've seen my wife just be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I watch her just say something. Boom, God shows up. I understand there's, there's roles. I understand there's different functions. But can I just say something? Every woman in this room... The, the devil in hell trembles at the Holy Spirit in you as much as he trembles at the Holy Spirit in any man. Amen. When you share the gospel, ladies, with people, in fact, some of the greatest evangelists on planet Earth are women sharing the gospel with their neighbors through acts of kindness and then sharing about Jesus. And you know when they share the gospel, the same Holy Spirit comes and transforms people's lives. Do you know my little wife and any woman in this room, some lady sitting out here, you weigh a dripping wet 90 pounds. When you got the Holy Spirit in you and you run into a devil in some country or in some person and you use the authority that's in you, that devil trembles at the authority you carry just like he trembles at the biggest guy in this room full of the Holy Spirit. So why in the world would the local church not be a place, why would we want to operate on one leg and one arm when we have men and women in this place who love Jesus, men and women who are full of the Holy Spirit? Ladies, are you hearing me this morning? I'm trying to get you a vision. I don't care, I don't care, who, is, I don't care who has tried to limit you, suppress you, push you down, or to even treat you as a second-class citizen in the church, but that's not here. We honor you. We honor the call of God on your life. We honor the same Holy Spirit who moves mightily in you. When you move in the gifts of the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, and we honor Him no matter what package He comes in. I don't care if you're a different color skin here this morning than my skin. It's the same Holy Spirit that's moving powerfully in every ethnic group around the globe. Amen. How exciting. Which is why, listen, why? What is the secret to healing a, a racially fractured America? It is the Holy Spirit resting on a people all different colors, all different ages, all different genders. I say all different. There's only two, just a reminder, all right? Um, <laughs> But I'm just telling you, I got to clarify so many things in these days. But so, so here's the deal. When, the, when Pentecost comes, God blows away all these artificial religious cultural barriers, just mows them down. And I want you to see this. Jesus was radical in his treatment of ladies. Can I challenge all of us men in this room? Can we raise the bar, even culturally? Can we raise the bar on how we, you know, the Bible says treat women as your sisters, um, that this is a safe place, a predator-free place, a place where we love women and celebrate their strengths, uh, a place where we honor who they are, a place where we, we speak tenderly. When we listen, we, we act with honor and respect. That's why, can you all hear our heart? When we're handing you a rose at the door, we know it's not like a full bouquet, but it's a rose, but you're getting it from somebody and you've got kids out there with signs and we're trying to celebrate from the bottom of our heart what we want to say is we love you and we value you like crazy. And the last thing I'm going to say, and I got to get you all out of here. 
Last thing I want to say is, ready for this? Mary Magdalene shows us that the most broken among us who encounters Jesus does not get into plan B. You move to the front of the line. Oh, this is so good. The most broken among us, you don't get moved to the back of the line with Jesus. You get moved to the front of the line and you get to experience the goodness of God up close. So don't hide in your shame and brokenness. Bring it to the cross. And don't let your mistakes disqualify you from the purpose of God for your life. Because God will use every little detail of our brokenness. I think the reason the Holy Spirit reminds us like multiple times in the Bible. Oh, let me tell you about Mary Magdalene. She had seven demons get cast out of her. Why does he put that in there? I think it's to remind us that none of us are ever disqualified from the purposes of God. And there's a power that's greater. And once you encounter that power, his name is Jesus, your life is forever wrecked and you never, ever, ever, ever want to leave or go back to normal. That's the good news of the gospel. So how about can we do this? Can we rescue people from the pits of brokenness? Introduce them to our King Jesus. Let them fall in love with God and let them join this army called Living Stones who are going to radically, passionately pursue the Holy Spirit and a move of God in our generation. Amen. And, and we will always go after the fullness of the presence of God in our lives because we're lovers first and lovers always pursue the one that they love. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for our ladies. If you need prayer this morning, come on down. We want to love on you and encourage you. Father, thanks for every woman in this place. We bless you in the name of Jesus. We celebrate you as creatures made in the image and likeness of God Almighty who carry the glory of the Lord and the beauty of the Lord. Father, flow over them even now with refreshing, with strength, with dignity, with encouragement, Lord. Give them a refreshing of your Holy Spirit even now. Lord, empower them to do all the amazing things that moms have to do, loving kids, caring for husbands, uh, just doing the stuff that's in, in the normal day of every woman in this place. Lord, empower them to do it and to do it with great joy and blessing. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing truth. Thank you for the power and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill us all. Fill us all. Let us love well as we leave here. Fill us with the Holy Spirit and fire even as we leave. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. If you need prayer or salvation, come on down, all right? We want to minister to you.